I, I, I sense God working so much right now in our church and in our lives because in the midst of the bad circumstances of life, God is doing good. And that is what, our, that is what we are about today. How, do we, how can I have faith to see a good thing when I see nothing good around me? How can I have the faith to see God doing something good when I, have, when I don't see anything good in my circumstances. Let's pray that God opens our hearts to his word today. Dear God, I just thank you so much that you, you're working, God. Sometimes it's almost all I can say when someone says, how are you doing? I can say, God is working good things. And I pray today for those, for us in the places of our frustrations and our hurts, maybe even past hurts, God, that you would help us to trust you today, God. Help us to have a new faith and vision for how you are working in the midst of the challenges that we're facing right now, God. I pray that you would fill us with hope and peace and give us a new purpose for our life, Lord God, in the midst of all of these challenges that we're facing right now, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's times in life when when you want to complain, when you want to complain because something bad has happened to you, right? Something unexpectedly bad maybe happened to you or something hurtful or there's times in life when you say in your heart or out loud, this isn't good or this is unfair. And that old quote that life isn't fair just doesn't seem to make you feel better. There are times, maybe, maybe the bad thing, the unfair thing, the hurtful thing in your life is, that, is the effects of the pandemic. We, we all feel those things in so many different facets of our life, right? And, we, and something in our heart, I think we say, God, how can you let this happen to us, to me? God, why are you, I've heard this sentiment, why are you letting these bad things happen to the church? I just got invited to a pastor's gathering, um, for example, where a pa- some of the pastors who were more connected to me were no- in, the, in Clark County were noticing that almost every pastor they talk to is depressed and wants to quit, and many have quit. People are wondering, why are these bad things happening to me, right? And it affects pastors too. Why? why we, we, there's the conflicts, and we think, why can't we agree on blank? And we get frustrated about it. We say, God, why are, why are we letting this happen? Why are humans so stupid? <laughs> it seems like it would be so simple for us just to agree on this issue. Or why is there so much blank in the world? Or why is there so much blank in my church? Right? And it frustrates us. Or maybe there's just life things happening you lose a job and you wonder, why is this happening to me? You, you have trouble getting pregnant. You have trouble finding a spouse. You, get, you can't find a job that you find meaningful. You get the life that you thought you wanted and you don't feel satisfied. You don't get into the school you wanted or maybe someone hurts you and sins against you. All kinds of reasons in life why we might say, why is this happening to me, God? This is not good. This is not fair. This is not right. There were many times in Paul's life that he could have said that. He could have, that he could have said, why, God, how can you let these bad things happen 
to me. I want to give a little summary. Actually, I, I stole this from Donald Sanuki when he gives this very great synopsis of what happened to Paul leading up to him writing the book of Philippians. All the trials that he went through. For five, five years before Paul wrote the letter to Philippians, he went to Jerusalem at, um, against the advice of everyone around him. They said, if you go to Jerusalem, Paul, you're going to get killed. Even the Holy Spirit said, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to get arrested. But Paul said, nope, this is where I need to go to Jerusalem. And he goes to Jerusalem, and, and some Jews who hated him started this rumor that when he was in the temple, he had brought a Gentile into the holy place of the temple, which was a really bad thing, for, right? And, and he hadn't actually done this, but they thought he had done this because he was hanging around with Gentiles. And so these, these, these Jews that hated Paul spread false rumors around him and started Brought, got instigated a mob and brought that mob into the temple and dragged Paul out of the temple and, 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 and planned on beating him to death. And a Roman commander who was responsible for keeping order in the city heard about that and he rushed in and grabbed Paul before they, as he was a bloody mess before they beat him completely to death. He started trying to figure out what was wrong, who inflamed the crowd, what the situation was, but of course no one was quite agreeing on this situation, and Paul had a little bit of trouble defending himself after getting beaten to a pulp. And so the guard assumes, this commander assumes that it must be Paul's fault, so he throws him in jail. And to figure out what Paul had, what Paul's part was in it, he decided to torture Paul a little bit because that was the Roman way. To loosen his tongue a little bit, he's decided to stretch him out on the blocks like we've talked about before and stretch him out and whip him, some, whip him a bunch, loosen his tongue and find out what had happened to him. Paul says, well, by the way, I hope you, don't, I hope you know that what you've done is, just, is illegal because I'm a Roman citizen and you're not allowed to beat a Roman citizen without giving any charges or without a trial. The soldier is, of course, scared. And he, he ends up trying to get, figure out what's, what's going on with Paul. And he, the Jewish leaders, of course, can't, can't bring any actual charges against him or bring any evidence. At the same time this is happening, all, there's a group of, of, uh, of Jews who decide to make a vow that they're not, not going to eat anything until, until Paul dies. And so Paul's in this bad situation, right? And they, they plan this other meeting the next day for, to, with the commander, with their plans that they're going to try to kill Paul while he's in transition. Realizing that he's in this explosive situation, the, Paul, the commander ends up sending Paul in the dead of night by the protection of 500 men to a, to a city about 500 miles away called Caesarea. Caesarea has the boss of that headquarters, is a high commander in the Roman army, the governor Felix. This, um, he sends this letter along with him to the governor saying, to his excellency, Governor Felix, greetings. This man was about to be killed by the Jews when I rescued him. He's a Roman citizen. When I attempted to find out the problem, all I could get was a lot of religious talk. They didn't seem to have any real criminal charges against him that would merit punishment or death. And when I found out they intended to kill him, Anyways, I thought it would best to send him to you. And I've ordered his accusers to present their case to you. And so several days later, these accusers arrive in Caesarea, and after more meetings and more religious talk and no evidence, that it figures out they don't have any real evidence. There's just, these are just accusations they can't back up. 
But he also notices that Paul is a, is a very educated, well-spoken Roman citizen. And so he gets this thought in his head. Maybe if I keep Paul in custody, I will be able to get a bribe out of him or his friends. And so this corrupt governor decides to keep Paul in custody. And he keeps Paul in custody, waiting for a bribe for two years. Paul spends two years in custody because of a corrupt official. Paul could have thought, God, this wasn't the plan. God, why is this happening to me? God, this is unfair. But it wasn't over yet. After two years in custody, a new governor comes to replace Felix. The new governor no sooner takes place than the Jews decide to take up their case again and and bring some new accusations. And we have this rigmarole once again with some false accusations that they can't can't substantiate with witnesses or evidence. The governor's confused, so he says, hey, Paul, would you like to go down to Jerusalem? Like there's this recommendation, you've got to bring him down to Jerusalem to have this trial. Paul knows that there's these men in waiting to kill him, who have made this big vow to kill him. So he knows that if he goes to Jerusalem, he's as good as dead. So he plays his last card available to him. As a Roman citizen, he appeals to Caesar. He claims his right as a Roman citizen to have his case put before Caesar, kind of like taking it to the Supreme Court, except for the Supreme Court is a corrupt tyrant, Caesar, who happens to be going crazy at this very exact moment. And the government, governor grants his request. Within a few months, Paul is put on a ship to, to set sail for Rome. After several days out in rough waters, that they, they hit their, their, their progress slows. They make no progress because the wind's against them and they make no headway, making it to Rome. By now, they're nearing the, the start of the winter season when sailing is dangerous. Paul has had a sense from the Holy Spirit that if they continue, they're going to be shipwrecked and people are going to die, and he tells them as much, but they, of course, decide they want to bring their cargo and all their stuff to Rome and not lose any money. So they press on. A couple more days, and that, that, that those, the gentle breezes turn into a hurricane. And now the ship is absolutely helpless. It's driven out of control. The ship crashes on some nearby rocks and breaks apart. The soldiers get ready to kill the prisoners so that none of them swim away, but the commander thinks of Paul and stops. And he orders those who can swim to head for the island and those who can't to grab a plank and some other piece of debris so that hopefully the tide will push them to shore. Amazingly, everyone makes it to shore and they spend the winter on this island. When spring comes, another ship takes them to Rome. Paul has been officially charged, hasn't been officially charged with anything, so the governor does allow him to rent a small house, but he has to be chained to a guard 24-7, and he has to somehow come up with the money to pay for this house and all of his food. 24-7, he's, he's think about this, he has a guard chained to him. Every six hours, a new guard comes in. He has to eat and do his bathroom business and sleep with these guards present and with these chains. He has to, every night he has to figure out a way to fall asleep with chains on him. And, even, and he has to figure out how, how he's going to come up with an income to pay for all of this or he'll be thrown into a Roman dungeon. 
And now for two years, this goes on. With his future being... Nero really can be crazy at times. About two years after that Paul wrote the, the letter of Philippians, we know that, that Nero accidentally set fire to the city of Rome in his craziness, his high Caesar craziness. And then in his defense, he decided to blame it on the Christians who everybody hated, which started a, an empire-wide persecution and millions of Christians died. So there's not the kind of guy you want to go to trial before. Paul could have thought, God, why is this happening to me? This is not good. This is not fair. This is not right. But Paul doesn't think that. He moves past that thought. And, he th and when the Philippians send, this, send, this, send some money to Paul so that he can keep paying for his house and keep paying for his food, they, they, want, and they want to know, how are you doing, Paul? What's, what's life been like? We've heard some rough things about your life. He writes a little bit of that down in our passage today. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, it says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. To, to have a bad mood, right? He had all kinds of reasons. I didn't even mention all of the reasons. I forgot to mention he was bitten by a snake while he was on that island. Paul lists out his trials, and, uh, and I don't have time today to list all of the, the he, times that he was beaten and, and he, was starved to he was starving and abandoned by people. He felt abandoned by all the churches before the Philippians arrived with that money. He's, he's almost thinking he's going to starve to death and get put into a Roman prison, uh, dungeon. It's ironic that we have Christian leaders today who write books like, in, in the name of Christ, like your best life now. When we have Paul giving his autobiography, and it sounds a little bit like your worst fears come true. <laughs> there is joy in Jesus Christ. Paul says, I rejoice. But I don't think it's what we think of when we think your best life now. Sitting in a prison. Abandoned. Having your very own fellow Christians deciding to take advantage, he says, of your imprisonment to advance their churches. It's like, well, church... Paul was the main guy, but now we can be the main guys. And so we're going to advance our churches and churches 
not help supporting him, people slandering him, all these uh, being chained, and all of these things that he's facing. Life has very much not, and, th- and by the way, this was, Paul had all these plans before this happened of what he thought he was going to do to advance the gospel. He's, and think about it, Paul, for now five or six years, his, his whole ministry, think about it, his purpose in life was to be an apostle, meaning someone who's like a missionary who goes and plants churches and preaches the gospel. His purpose, his dream was cut out, cut from underneath him. And he was sitting in prison. It wasn't like every day, I don't think he was thinking, oh, I know God's got a plan for what I'm going to do today while I'm sitting by myself in a prison or with this guard. Not sure what's going to face his day. It felt like a big waste of life to Paul, I'm sure. And yet he says, I rejoice. I rejoice. Now, if you asked him, Paul, are you having fun? You'd probably say, no, this actually stinks. Hey, Paul, are you happy? Well, I'm happy because of a different reason than what you're asking that for. If you ask Paul, is this fair? He'd say, no, this is not fair. If you ask Paul, if this is good, he'd say, no, this is not good. There's a whole lot of sin and evil happening right all around me. But if you ask Paul if he had joy, he would say, of course. How is that possible? I think it's possible because Paul, he stopped asking he stopped focusing. He stopped being fixated on God. Why, this, why is this happening to me? Why, why are you letting bad things happening to me? Why is, why is life so unfair? Why is, why is there so much sin and evil in the world? He stopped fixating on that question, and he started asking another question. What good thing are you up to, God? How are you using this bad news in my life to advance the good news of Jesus Christ? He started asking a different question. When Paul started asking that question, God, how are you using this bad news in my life to advance the good news of Jesus? He could start coming up with all kinds of reasons why the gospel of Jesus Christ was being advanced. And he says, in that I rejoice. He gave two reasons for why he was rejoicing and how the gospel is advancing. He first, the first thing he says, it, it, we see here that the, the gospel is advancing that through his suffering, by the way, that word advance, sorry to go drop me, jump back a second. That word advance is a very beautiful Greek word. It was used before the Bible was written. To, it was used of, of, of when the Roman army was like advancing down a road to go do their mess, right? To go, to go bring what they would call salvation to other nations. And they're advancing down these roads, right? And, you know, and I don't know if you've ever been on roads that aren't always properly maintained, but, you know, trees fall down. I'm a mountain biker, and every single year, if you ride the trails in the beginning of the year, you might find a log, and you better hope you have, have a good handle on the brakes when it comes when you find out there's a down log on your trail. This happens every year in the Northwest, right? After the winter, there's trees everywhere. The brush is grown over the trail, all this kind of stuff. And so the, they would send these engineers to advance the army, and that meant that it's the ones that clear the path for the army. It's a beautiful picture when Paul says that what this bad thing that happened to me is advancing the good news about King Jesus. What he's saying is it's creating a clear, it's clearing up the path for people to hear about Jesus. It's clearing up some, it's clearing a way for people to know who Jesus is. By the way, it doesn't actually mean that he's saying that it means we, we so much jump when we say the gospel is advancing. This is very important. We see that God, we think, well, how many people got saved? Or how many, who, 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 who made the altar call? Or who said the prayer? 
That's not what Paul said. He didn't say a single person got saved. I mean, I don't, maybe they did. I don't know. But he said the gospel is advancing because people are hearing about Jesus. That's an important thing. He's saying that when the, the suffering happens in our life, it has a way of clearing out barriers to the good news about Jesus. It has a way of clearing out the mess and, pri- and helping people see something that's more important than just the distractions of life. It creates opportunities for you to help someone else's heart have that debris of sin and death and shame and guilt and those walls and that hardness of heart to be chipped away at so that, so that the love of God can, might be able to pour into their hearts. Because the gospel is advancing. This happens over and over and over again. That w- Satan, he does his work to, to try to tear people down, to try to tear people down through suffering and death, to kill, steal, and to destroy. But what happens is that God turns the, the killing and the death and the stealing of Satan and he turns it into something good. But it backfires. See, the Rome wanted to silence Paul. This is their big, the Jews and Rome, they both wanted to silence Paul and to snuff out the gospel. Their big plan was to take their public enemy number one, Paul, the writer of scriptures and such, and to say if we get him to be quiet, the rest of the church will get scared and now they won't have him planting churches and the whole thing will die down. But what Paul says is, no, God has a plan. Exactly when Satan came to destroy the church, that is the very thing God uses. It backfires on Satan. It backfires on the enemies of darkness. And God is building his church through, through the attack of darkness. God builds his church. And God says, Paul says there's two reasons why this is happening. First, he says, What's happening is the whole palace guard is getting to hear about Jesus. The whole palace guard is getting to hear about Jesus. He says, they're getting the, he, he says I'm here and I'm locked up. Because I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. See, God used, did something very unique and special that Paul could have never planned. This Imperial guard that he refers to, by the way, is in a very elite group of Roman soldiers, a very influential group of of soldiers. This is a group of literally, this would be like the equivalent today of, of, of you combining these of strong and young and courageous and brilliant young talent that goes to like West Point and the Naval Academy and you know, or they're involved in the Secret Service and things like that. The FBI. These are like these are the guys, These are the bright and talented young men who have who have now gone into training to be to be Roman generals, to be to be politicians, to to lead armies. They are the they are the future elite. The idea was you spend twelve years in this palace guarding Caesar and being part of his elite guard. But the idea is after twelve years you graduate on to the next level. You're trained up to, for a, your next influential career. And Paul says, Good, look what God has done. Every four hours, a new imperial guard, the future up and coming of the Roman Empire, gets chained to me. He's, he doesn't think I get chained to them. He says, he's thinking, they're getting chained to me. 
They're gonna get, they get to get into the prison of, G, of Jesus, with, with Jesus in me. And for four hours, they're going to have nothing to do but to talk to me. <laughs> and you imagine these guards walking in, and they're, you know, they're probably used to getting locked, you know, chained to a bunch of scumbags, right? To, to maybe, you know, to, maybe it's somebody who was an elite scumbag, like a, an embezzler. Somebody who was cheating the Roman Empire, who was stealing taxes, or who had a scam like a pyramid scheme or something like that in the, in the you know, first century version. I don't know. And, and you know, or, the, or maybe there's somebody who started an insurrection or something like that. Or they're, they're, they're used to getting locked to people who are, who are, who are evil, wicked people. Who are probably going to tell them how they're innocent and you should let me go. I have a lot of money, right? These, kind of, these are the normal kind of conversations they have. And then they get locked to this guy named Paul. And they're like, what are you in for? Like, what'd you do? Did you cheat someone? Did you sleep with Caesar's, one of Caesar's wives? Like, what happened? Why are you here? What happened to you? And they're like, well, you know, I was just sharing the message about this guy named Jesus. And they start talking about Jesus. And, and, he, and, he, and maybe Paul says something like, I know that you guys have been preaching forever, that, but that, that Caesar is Lord and Savior. But you know what? I don't think that's true. And I think you know it because you're around the guy. <laughs> I mean, you've been with him when he gets crazy. You know you, you, you know, you don't believe the propaganda, I don't think. But I met a guy. In fact, I met a guy when he struck me blind and knocked me off my, 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 you know, knocked me off my horse and I, and I, couldn't, and I couldn't see. And, then I, and, and he spoke to me that his name was Jesus and I was persecuting him and I was trying to kill Christians just like you're trying to kill me. But Jesus to me. And I believe Jesus will appear to you. And you think day after day this happens and Paul gets to know their, their families and he's like, and, and he gets to hear about how their wives are doing. He gets to pray for them and he gets to have a relationship with them. And, and one by one, these pal- the imperial guards are hearing about Jesus. And there was many, many of them. There's was probably a good chance he didn't actually talk to every single one of them because there was thousands of them. But the idea is now word is spreading that there is a man named Paul who is in, in chains because of who? Christ, he says. And that word Christ is an, saying he's in prison for a man named Jesus who he thinks is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, who he thinks is Savior and Lord because it's not Rome and it's not Savior. And there's a kingdom that's not of this world that is coming. And rumors start to spread and they start to talk. And all of a sudden people are talking about Jesus. And Paul says, I rejoice. Because people know that I'm here about Jesus. And they want to know more about who this Jew from Nazareth is named Jesus. Who I, who I say is risen from the dead and is King of kings and Lord of lords. See, God has a way of taking something that is a, seems like a massive setback in your life. Taking massive bad news that comes on your life, either through sin or, or evil or just the bad circumstances of life, that God has a way of, of taking the bad news in your life and using it to advance the good news about Jesus Christ. He says there's another group. He says another, I have another reason to rejoice because I have this confidence that, that he says most of the brothers, having seen the witness of how I've responded to my suffering, 
to the bad news that I've been given, to the, all the unfair things that have happened to me, what's happened is that the brotherhood of Jesus Christ in Rome have started to preach the gospel boldly and confidently. It's exactly the opposite of what you'd expect. It's exactly the opposite of what Rome expected. They think we put the main leader in prison and threaten his life, then everybody else will shut up. I mean, isn't that what you would think if persecution came down on the church today and all of a sudden it was illegal to talk about Jesus? Wouldn't you assume that the church would be snuffed out in America because everyone is just these wishy-washy Christians in America who wouldn't really love Jesus enough to risk their life for him? That's what Rome was counting on. They're not going to be really hardcore like Paul. And exactly the opposite happens. Because God and the Holy Spirit have a way of working. And they see that when the church in Rome, and by the way, the church in Rome had every reason to be afraid, far more reason than we have to be afraid of sharing Jesus Christ. Like I mentioned before, Nero was crazy. And he was about ready to, in a couple years to start persecuting Christians by, by burning them alive and such. Things were tense. Talking, and we've talked about, we've talked last week, how talking about a king named Jesus is not an easy thing to do in the Roman Empire. That all of the propaganda of the, of the Roman Empire uses the exact same language that Paul uses for the gospel. They use words like good news, but it's not the good news of Jesus, it's the good news of Rome and the good news of Caesar. And they use words like Lord and Savior, but it's not the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's the Lord and Savior Caesar and the, and the nation of Rome. It's a scary time to start talking about another king and another savior. And yet these Christians, they see Paul and they see his boldness when he may have to go face Caesar and die. They see his boldness and they are inspired by the power of the Holy Spirit to speak more boldly the gospel. And this is what God has done throughout all of the history of the church. That in the midst of trying times, in the midst of times when the world, when everything in the world says we should shut up and we should stop believing that God is good, that we should stop believing that Jesus is risen from the dead because all of the circumstances around us scream that God is dead, God raises up his church to say boldly in the midst of that darkness, in the midst of those attacks, in the midst of Satan trying to sift us like wheat and destroy our faith, the Holy Spirit emboldens Christians to say, Jesus lives. Jesus is Savior. This darkness can be only defeated by Jesus Christ. We're inspired by people. We get inspired by people like Paul who says, there's nothing you can do to steal my joy. There's nothing you can do. You cannot lock up my hope. You cannot lock up my life. You cannot lock up my peace. You cannot lock up my love. There is nothing that can kill it because it's found in Jesus Christ, and he is with me in this prison right now. And so I will sing to Jesus, and I will not complain. I will proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. Amen? I will stop complaining, and I will start proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ in the midst of my bad news. God is good. The church saw it, and they were emboldened, and we are in a time when God is raising up his church to say, hey, there's a whole lot of bad news out there. Everybody feels it. There's bad news in the church. There's, there are days when I feel so much bad news over my heart. There are days that I, there's so many times in the last year 
where I literally am imagining, I cannot seem to escape imagining death over my life, death of my dreams. And I feel in those times, God, I feel, it feels like God grabbing me gently on the shoulder and say, and he says to me so confidently and so clearly, Will, that is not going to happen. Put your faith in me. That is not. That future that you are imagining right now, where your life falls apart, he, said, he, grabbed, he just embraces me and says, Will, that is not going to happen. I am working. I am doing good. And God wants to give every single one of us the confidence today to say, hey, there is a lot of bad news, but I'm going to get my eyes off of the bad news. I'm going to get my heart off the bad news. And I'm going to get my eyes on Jesus. And I'm going to start asking God, what good thing are you doing to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ in my life right now? What good thing are you doing to work through my life to advance the good news of Jesus Christ. Because the, when we think about this idea of advancing, there's all kinds of ways that God uses bad things in your life to advance the good news of Jesus. If, if it, that word advance means to cut back the brush that's holding back the army of God, the, the work of God, the, the, the salvation of God in your life and in the life around us, he's saying God is advancing the gospel through bad times. Sometimes that starts by saying, I need to cut out some of the brush in your life. I need to cut out some of the log jams in your life that are holding back my love from penetrating your heart. I need to cut, I need to start, I need to clear a path for you to have deeper faith and deeper trust of me and the good thing that I'm doing in the midst of this situation. And so God, he focuses our life, and I see this happening in my life right now. This is the key thing God's doing to me. I don't, I don't actually know yet how God is using all the bad things to advance the gospel in your life or our church yet, but I see God in my life right now. I see him clarifying my hope and my joy and the purpose of my life to say, this is what I want more than anything in the world. And what I want now more than anything in the world is Jesus. And to see his work in my life and to see him work in this world and all I care about is being faithful to Jesus because he is so worthy. He's saved me. He's so worthy. He's alive, and I feel him with me in the midst of the bad situation. The other thing that God often does is he takes the bad things in our life, and over time, and I don't know, sometimes it takes time. You don't know how it's going to work out. Remember for Paul, it took, him, it took him three, probably three years to even get to that Roman prison to preach the gospel to those guards. For three years, God was just preparing the situation for him to go preach the gospel to these thousands of guards. And God is, but God, what he does is he takes these bad situations in our life and God is going to, and when we put our faith in him, God is going to use this situation that is bad and he's going to find a way to do something good through your life for someone else. For you to have a greater witness to the, to Jesus, for you to have a deeper faith that when you talk about Jesus and you share your story, it feels real to people. It clears the path for them to hear about Jesus because they see this is someone who's really suffered like me, and yet they have joy, and they have peace, and they have hope. And why? Because they, they keep talking about this guy named Jesus. This king named Jesus and a kingdom that's coming that's so much greater than the kingdom of this world. 
The gospel advances through the things that are happening in our life right now. When so when bad things happen to us, we have to stop. We have to get our eyes off the question, our hearts off the question, why is this happening? We have to start thinking, God, what good thing are you doing? So when you lose your job, it's unexpected and it's painful and it's hurtful, but you have to start saying, God, I don't know, I don't know why this happened to me. This doesn't fair, God. I don't know, but I'm going to stop blaming you for this, God. I'm going to start asking you, God, what good thing are you doing in this time? This pandemic is happening to us. It's a crazy mess. Our lives are all up, turned upside down. We've gotten used to living our lives in some kind of weird isolation phase. We're, we're annoyed with having to wear masks or whatever it might be. All kinds of things are happening. We have to stop complaining about the pandemic and start saying, God, what good thing are you doing in my life? What good thing are you doing in my life? My church, what good thing are you doing in my neighborhood? What good thing are you doing in my family? What good thing are you doing so that I can let everybody know that I'm in this with Jesus? Amen? There's bad things will happen to us, but we have this chance to say, God, I'm going to trust you in the midst of us. I think there's two perspective changes we have to go through as I close to help us get to that place to truly do that in the midst of truly bad situations. The first thing we have to do is we have to stop blaming God. Paul didn't blame God. A lot of times when we're asking that question, why God are you happening? This is unfair. There's, a, there's two ways that we can be blaming God. There's the completely, there's the more, and the first way we might blame God is we we get angry with God, right? We say this isn't fair, right? We say this is, and, and in a sense we're saying sometimes what we do is we end up saying, hey God, this is your fault, right? Like God, I'm, 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 I, I think you did this. Like I really am just directly blaming you, God. And, I, and we get angry and we start to lose faith and people lose their faith this way all the time. God, this is your, you did this, it's your fault. It directly happens when we bump up against the evil in our life. Well, there's also, I think, a more subtle way this happens. I, we learned about, we talked about this in, when I was in seminary with Gary Bashirs, how complicated the will of God can be in our lives. And so often, we, we, when we come against evil in our life, we bump up against real evil, real situations that see, are actually unfair, that are not good. And we, sometimes there's this Christianese way of blaming God. And what we might say is something like, like, well, you know, God is in control. Like this terrible, horrible thing happened to me, but, but God is in control, and I know it's all part of God's plan, and I know, somehow, I, I, you know, I know somehow this happened for a reason. And that's a very subtle potential way to, to blame. And I might, you might be thinking, well, you just said a bunch of heresy. If you Isn't that true? God's in control. God's, God has a plan. God has a reason for things. But here's the thing, this, I think this is subtly a way of blaming God and a very big misunderstanding of the way evil and God's purposes work. Because God is, has a plan. And, God has, and has, God has the power to do all things. But this idea of God being control is a lot more complicated than you think. Because think about this. Just, God doesn't cause evil. And God lets people have free will. God lets Satan have a free will. God lets demons have a free will. We live in a 
very complicated world. And so to just say, when you experience suffering, to say, hey, God, you're in control. I know you have a reason for this. I know you have a plan. That can be actually creating a root of a more subtle kind of bitterness against God. Because something actually evil might have happened to you that God didn't want to happen to you. That God grieves with you. That God didn't want that to happen. That we live in a broken world. And yes, God is powerful and God is good. And God is going to work out all things for good. And God has a plan for how he's going to glorify Jesus Christ and how he's going to redeem his church and how he's going to grow the kingdom of God. All of these things are true. But it's also true There's a whole lot of free will agents out there who do evil, wicked things. And God does not condone it in any way. I think about this passage where Paul, if you were to ask Paul, would you, and you'd say, hey, Paul, is God, is what happened to you, is that all God's plan? He would say, no, that's not all God's plan. There's a wicked guy named Caesar running a wicked empire. There's a corrupt governor who wouldn't give me a fair trial. There's all these Jews who accuse me of a false crime. That's sin. There's all these pastors right now that are preaching the gospel just to get ahead and grow their churches, and they don't even love Jesus that much. It's like, those, that's all sin. I don't like any of that. But he says what's amazing is in the midst of all that sin, in the midst of all that evil, in the midst of all that brokenness, God is working good in my life. Right? Romans 8, 28 says, says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purposes. God is working good. But it doesn't mean everything that happened to me. Let me give you an example just to help clarify this a little bit so you don't think I'm saying something, just in case you're wondering if I'm saying something tricky. Let's, say, let's, just, say, let's just say it happened. I find out that one of you guys lost their job. Okay. And you're wondering, why did this happen to me? Was this part of God's plan? Here's some possibilities for why that happened to you, why you lost your job. First of all, it could be part of, it could be God's plan. It could be God really literally like made sure everything happened so that you lost your job because he has another plan for you to have another job. Okay, that could be, that could be exactly what happened. Sometimes the Bible says God just specifically drills down into details and he works out his plan, right? And everybody has their free choices. It's happened on the cross. Everybody freely chose to put Jesus on the cross, but God says, nope, I actually am the one who did that because I had a plan. But also, there's all kinds of other options for why you lost your job. It could be somehow there was a spiritual attack on your life. That was the work of Satan. Maybe your boss is possessed by a demon. I don't know. (laughs) Like Satan could be working, and you got fired because of Satan. That, That happens. Satan works. It could be your sin. It could be you are a sinner. I might need to tell you, I'm sorry. You lost your job because you're lazy and you showed up to work 10 times in a row. That's why you lost your job, because you're a sinner. Like, that's why you lost your job. So you need to repent. That wasn't God's will. That was, don't say, why did that happen? That happened because you're, you, you sinned. So learn from it. God might, and God will probably do something good and help you get another job, but learn from your mistake. It could be, or it could be your coworker's sin. Maybe a coworker slandered you and told your boss that you that you stole some money and then you got you lost your job. Or or it could be that we live in a fallen world. It's a complicated economy out there and you lost your job because it's a broken world. Now, when we say God is in control and we say, "Hey God, you're in control. I know you have a plan for this and a reason for this. That's why I lost my job." I hope you see that that's a complicated thing. Because most likely actually what happened was a combination of those things. 
wasn't even one. And, and here's the thing. Paul, when, if you were to ask Paul, why did all this happen to me? I think he would actually say, all I know is that what, this happened to me so that God could advance the gospel. I don't know what, actually why this happened to me other than all this broken stuff happened. He's like, I don't, we never are going to be able to understand the mind of God and the, and, the, and the complexity of the world and the complexity of how evil and God's purposes work out. When something bad happens to us, we can say, God, I, I, we, we ask why, but the honest truth is we'll never know until we get to, to heaven because it's complex. But here's the thing. The gospel is not that God is in control. The gospel is that God is with us. The good news is not that, hey, everything happens for a reason. The good news is that everything, in everything that happens, Jesus Christ has risen from the dead and he is with me in the midst of that suffering. The good news is that when that sin happened to you, when someone sinned against you, the good news is that God loves you and that God is with you and that God weeps with you in the midst of that brokenness. The good news is that when that, when that awful thing happened to you, that God was with you and he was working out a plan to use that awful thing to grow your love for him and to grow your trust for him and to do the next thing to be awesome for your life so that you could advance the gospel to someone else and tell somebody else about how awesome Jesus is. See, God, the good news is that God is at work in the midst of our suffering. The good news is that God works all things for those who love God and for those who are called according to his purposes. That God is working in the midst of your situation, to work good news into your life. And my prayer today is that you would make that pivot to say, God, I'm going to pivot from complaining about all the bad things that are happening, and I'm going to pivot to start proclaiming that Jesus Christ is good news for my life, and that he is going to do good news in this situation. He is going to advance the good news in this situation. Now, the second thing that I notice here for our perspective, first, our perspective has to start seeing that I don't necessarily know why this happened, but that God is going to do good through it, that he is with me in it. The first perspective that has to change is you have to start wondering, what is the good news to you? What is happiness to you? What is your joy? What are you advancing in your life? You see, Paul had joy in all situations, because why? Because he defined his joy in relationship with Jesus Christ. His joy, his definition of happiness was not based upon his circumstances. If you were to ask Paul, if you were to ask your average person, so why are you rejoicing? They would tell you something good that has happened to them, right? They would say something good about their life. You're going to ask Paul, why are you rejoicing? He is not going to talk about something good in his life. He doesn't have anything good left to talk about in his circumstances. What is he going to say? I am genuinely rejoicing. Why? Because he has defined his happiness based on serving Jesus Christ. And there is always a deeper way to serve Jesus no matter what circumstances you are going through. There's always a way to find joy in Jesus Christ no matter what circumstances you are going through. Like Paul, Paul like looked at his circumstances of his life and he's saying, like, I, 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 this, isn't, this isn't my joy. My joy is in Jesus. And that joy is always advancing because Jesus is always working good in all things, in all circumstances. So you have to ask yourself this morning, what, what is my joy? 
For Paul, his joy was Jesus and the good news of Jesus Christ. There was nothing more joyful for him. And so when you say, hey, Paul, I, I hear that you thought you were going to starve to death. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I haven't even eaten for three days. It's awesome. God is good. Why? Because I got to tell someone about Jesus today that never would have heard about Jesus if I wasn't right here. And he knows I haven't eaten for three days. And I have not. And my joy has not been squelched by starving here in this prison with him. God, the, his joy was always advancing because his joy was found in the good news of Jesus Christ. See, when your joy and your relationship with Jesus Christ and what God is, and what God is doing in your life, when those things get unified, you will find the secret of joy in all circumstances. When your joy and serving Jesus become one. And until then, and I don't say this to condemn anyone, but until then, your, circumstance, your, your joy and your happiness will always be fleeting with the seasons of life. But in Jesus, we find reason for rejoicing in all things. As we wrap up, I want to do a little exercise. Christiane, you can come on up. I want to give you a chance to think about what God is doing in your life. I put a card in the, in the holder in, in the chairs in front of you guys right here and some pens. There's a little card there, and um, there should be enough cards, enough pens. There's a couple cards in the back if, you happen to, if your row happens to be completely filled. And, and I want to give you a second. Christiane will just play a little bit of music to inspire you. And uh, I want you to write down, I want you to think about what God's doing in your life. I want you to think about what, what kind of, what's happened in your life. Paul talks about what's happened in his life. He tells you what's happened in your life. What's the, what bad has happened to you? I want you to write that down. What's the bad thing that's happened to you? And then next, I want you to think about for a second and pray, what's the good thing that God's going to do in the midst of that? How is God use that bad thing for good? Or how are you seeing God use that bad thing for good in your life right now? And then finally, just as a, as a time to put your worship onto that page, write down something you're rejoicing about there in the bottom there. Because of blank, I rejoice. Let me pray for us. Dear God, I just thank you for your word today. I pray as we come to reflection, as we come to worship, Lord God, I pray that you would help us to see the good thing that you are doing in the midst of all of the bad news that we've experienced in our life, Lord. I pray that you would help us to see how you are advancing the good news of Jesus through the bad circumstances of our life, Lord God. Help us to have our faith, God, that you are with us and that you are working. Amen.